All right, guys, my name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm the co-host of the Fitness and Philosophy podcast, along with James Fitzgerald. And today we're going to do a preview of our upcoming episode on dogmatism and fitness. So first thing, real quick, if you guys have been liking these episodes or the podcast more generally, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. They really do make a difference, uh, and we'd really love to hear what you think. So I thought that it might be useful since our episodes tend to be about an hour and a half long to maybe do these uh, shorter previews, somewhere around 15 minutes to give you a sense of what's um, going to be discussed philosophically in each episode and to give you kind of a broad general overview uh, of, of what we're going to be talking about and any background that may be relevant. So typically we do our episodes in couplets, meaning two different topics that are related to one another. So in this case, we're gonna be talking about dogmatism and skepticism in uh, these two upcoming episodes, starting with dogmatism. Um, and I wanna start off by explaining what dogmatism and skepticism are before we focus specifically on dogmatism. So dogmatism and skepticism are broadly speaking, epistemological approaches or attitudes that one can adopt towards what we know or what we believe. Epistemological here just meaning having to do with truth or justification or belief or knowledge, uh, what we know about the world and what we believe about it. One could say that dogmatism and skepticism are not just any two positions on the status of what we know, but rather they are two diametrically opposed positions on either side of a spectrum. So going back to the visual seesaw metaphor that we referenced from Aristotle about virtue, uh, when we talked about virtue uh, in one of our episodes, you know, Aristotle famously thinks that virtue is kind of a mean between two extremes. So if you can visualize a seesaw with one person sitting on one end and the other person up in the air, that's where things are weighted he too heavily in one way. Um, but if you imagine the seesaw being balanced, that's what virtue consists in, and it being weighted towards one direction or another too heavily is a vice. So we could say that when it comes to our confidence in our beliefs, uh, that dogmatism is a vice of excess. Uh, proper belief is the virtue in between uh, dogmatism and skepticism, and skepticism is a vice of deficiency. So in other words, proper belief is the virtue, and dogmatism and skepticism in their extremes are vices. Historically speaking, Kant famously argued that his philosophical system could be seen as trying to navigate a middle path between the excesses of dogmatism, which he equated with um, early modern rationalists like Descartes, Spinoza, and Leibniz, and skepticism, which uh, he equated with early modern empiricism from Locke, Berkeley, and Hume. So in this episode, we're gonna focus specifically on dogmatism. So let's start with the fact question, namely, what is dogmatism? There are lots of different definitions here, but the, you know, the, the particular definition we're gonna focus on is the character of being dogmatic, authoritative, positive, or arrogant assertion of doctrines or opinions. So what are some examples here? Uh, there's religious dogmatism, where the idea is that anyone who fails to believe is a heretic, sinner, or is going to hell. There's political dogmatism, um, where a politician thinks that everything he says is right, and anyone who disagrees with him is an idiot or out to get him. Uh, sound familiar? Uh, philosophical dogmatism, those who think one thinker is the way, the light, and the truth. Scientific dogmatism, where you have those who wouldn't believe germ theory, quantum mechanics, 
or that ulcers are caused by H. pylori until, you know, mounds and mounds of evidence were provided. And even then, some were reluctant, but eventually became kind of the thing uh, that people look to. Uh, in fitness, uh, you know, CrossFit HQ, <laughs> for example, when uh, the two Russells were working there. Um, so those are some examples of dogmatism. Now, let's talk about a tension between philosophy slash science and religion that highlights this notion of dogmatism. So while there are many points of conflict between science and philosophy, uh, science slash philosophy and religion, the issue of dogmatism would seem to be one of the most fundamental methodological differences. And I don't mean to suggest that this can't be overcome and that there aren't counter arguments, but I do mean to suggest that on the face of it, there is a conflict here. So in religion, very often, although not always, uh, when one is challenged, criticized, uh, or excuse me, one is challenged, criticized, or deemed heretical for challenging established beliefs or ways of acting. Uh, if one is, you know, challenging the, um, you know, established orthodoxy. So again, very often, although not always, this has very little to do with the merits of the argument or point, but merely the fact that it challenges the establishment. Tons of examples here, but Copernicus and Darwin are probably the two most famous examples. Now, in religion, it is very often a virtue to believe what one believes in the face of contrary evidence or come what may, which we typically call faith, which is a type of dogmatism. In philosophy and science, on the other hand, one typically gets the Nobel Prize or tenure or other major awards for upending established orthodoxy or dogma. One could say that it's the highest goal or achievement in the discipline to upend what we previously thought to be true based on new data. Now, I'm fully aware from a sociological perspective that even in science and philosophy, these new ideas can often be met with dogmatic resistance in the moment and maybe even for years afterwards. So this is just a feature of humans. But that being said, so I see that as a counterpoint, but that being said, unlike in the case of religion, these new ideas are eventually rewarded and celebrated with things like the Nobel Prize, tenure, etc. Darwin, Einstein, the people who discovered that H. pylori causes ulcers, etc. Like, we're talking on the orders of years and decades, not centuries and centuries before something actually gets uh, changed. Although sometimes that can, that can be the case. Schopenhauer had a famous quote here, all truth passes through three phases. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Um, so this, you know, kind of relates to this sociological phenomenon when it comes to people's beliefs. So we've talked about the fact question around dogmatism. Let's talk about values. Is dogmatism good or bad? So I'll lay my cards out on the table here. So while I'm generally a fan of saying most things aren't good or bad, it just depends on the context and the use case. I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that if there's a good instance of dogmatism, I'm having a really hard time seeing it. Um, and if you guys are listening to this and you have uh, good counterpoints, please uh, send them my way. But, um, you know, maybe we say temporary dogmatism in the case of teaching kids right from wrong that eventually comes to reveal its intentions or reasons. You tell them, you know, don't cross the road or don't steal and they don't quite get it but eventually you have reasons behind it that you explain to them. Or we could say as a practical matter, as coaches, sometimes we need to say, 
keep your back straight or eat your broccoli and the client just needs to do it in that moment. But this is ideally only very temporary and we should be revealing the reasons to them as quickly as possible afterwards. Dogmatism, it seems to me, uh, would seem to be an epistemological vice with very few, if any, redeeming qualities. Although, of course, I don't want to be dogmatic, so I'm open to counter-arguments here. So why is dogmatism a vice? There are a few different reasons. Practically speaking, it's often accompanied by ignorance. Uh, we all know this. Those who are the most sure of themselves tend to be the ones who know the least. Uh, it can lead to more religious and political oppression. Uh, people of color, religious minorities, LGBTQ, uh, non-believers, etc. Uh, it closes us off intellectually to new possibilities, right? When you're dogmatic about what you believe, you're not open to learning new things. This is, was the case with Einstein's conception of gravity, where people thought space and time couldn't bend. Uh, you know, Newton and motion, where for a very long time... Um, people didn't think something would continue to move in the absence of something pushing it, and many, many other cases. But you might say, why is dogmatism bad in and of itself, aside from what it may lead to or be associated with? Well, here are a few facts that bear on the matter. Fact, humans are finite beings, uh, spatio-temporally at least, and in other ways, meaning we exist in a certain area of space and a certain period of time. Um, Humans also have limited epistemological capacities. You know, we are capable of lots of really amazing things, but we have a finite brain that can comprehend so much. And we don't have access to sonar or echolocation or, you know what I mean? Like we, we don't, I mean, we can develop sonar, of course, in um, technologies, but we only have certain senses that we have access to and our, our capacity to access the world is limited. Another fact, what we thought we've known to be true both in science and other endeavors in many instances has turned out to be wrong. So here's the value. Given the various obvious fallibility of human beings from the facts above, it would seem not just ignorant, but epistemically irresponsible to be dogmatic. So, you know, the epistemic irresponsibility there being a vice. So, now that we have a sense of why dogmatism is a vice, um, we need to talk about uh, what the antidote is to dogmatism. And one, one other quick thing I just remembered here that I wanted to say, the central center vice here with dogmatism is not necessarily being confident in what you believe, especially if it's well-researched. Rather, it's believing what you believe come what may. In other words, in principle, nothing could come before you to change your mind. So what's the antidote to dogmatism? Not necessarily skepticism, but rather epistemological humility. There's a whole lot we don't currently know. There's a whole lot we won't know in our lifetime. There's a whole lot that may in principle be out of reach for humans to know just in general, if we extended you know, the universe out to infinity. The appropriate response to this isn't necessarily to say that we know nothing, skepticism, which we'll discuss later, but rather to accept that our beliefs can be changed at some point by contrary beliefs. Now, an interesting question here with regard to dogmatism is, are all types of beliefs equally subject to revision? It would seem that empirical beliefs, like scientific beliefs um, and things of that nature, things we know about the world, are probably the most subject to revision, right? We thought that the sun rotated around the Earth, uh, but in reality, that was not the case. 
um, you know, Newton's conception of gravity to Einstein's conception, things change all the time when it comes to an investigation of the world. What do we say about things like moral beliefs, though? This can be tricky. We want to say something like slavery has always been and everywhere uh, wrong, even if people didn't recognize it. Now I realize that's more of a metaphysical claim. But clearly that view slash belief has changed and progressed throughout history. Um, so what should we say there about, you know, standing firm with regard to um, morals, you know, in the face of uh, a world or society that doesn't accept, accept them versus empirical claims? And then religious beliefs. Could, should these ever be revised? Which ones? Are there some that can't be? You know, what do we say here? Um, and then one other thing to discuss before we talk about the particular questions that we'll discuss in the episode is epistemological holism in the web of belief. So this is a famous notion in philosophy that's most commonly associated with uh, Pierre Duhem and Wilder van Norman Quine, uh, two philosophers uh, from the recent past, and it's an anti-dogmatic conception of belief and knowledge. Here's the idea. In this view, everything we believe is, in part of, is part of an intricate metaphorical web of knowledge or web of belief. Some beliefs are much closer to the center of the web. Um, these would be things like the truths of logic or math. Um, so there can't be a round square, two plus two equals four, or excuse me, two plus two, yeah, two plus two equals four. Something cannot both be and not be something at the same time, right? Like you can't be both 60 years old and not 60 years old at the same time. Those contradict each other. So those beliefs are more foundational and will be much harder to overturn, but they are nonetheless changeable given sufficient evidence, right? Quantum mechanics has overturned a lot of the things we've previously believed to be true about, you know, um, a particle has one location in space. Something can't behave as both a particle and a wave. Um, so that's challenged some of those beliefs. Furthermore, if those beliefs are removed from the center of the web, the ripples, so to speak, are felt along the entire web of belief. If we overturn two plus two equals four, you better believe there are gonna be some ripples throughout the rest of the web of belief. Some beliefs are much closer to the periphery and are much more easily changed without changing any of the foundational beliefs. Um, however, all beliefs are subject to revision, which runs counter to dogmatism. So in this conception, um, you know, it, it's a very anti-dogmatic conception of knowledge and belief. It basically says there's nothing privileged in the web of belief. It's just that some things are closer to the center, some things are closer to the periphery. And with the things that are closer to the center, it's gonna take a whole lot more evidence and proof to overturn those, but they are in principle revisable. So let's briefly discuss some of the questions we're going to uh, discuss in this upcoming episode. So the first question would be, are there any instances of dogma in fitness? Um, you know, what's the history of that? Um, you know, people once believed that bodybuilding was the main way to build strength or that um, endurance activities such as running were the main way to engage in fitness. And then there was certainly some dogmatism specifically associated with the CrossFit movement. Um, why does dogma come about in fitness? Is it just a human thing like any other human endeavor? Or is it something particular to fitness itself? Um, 
is dogmatism bad in fitness, just like it is in other places? Or is dogmatism ever a useful attitude to adopt in fitness? Uh, and then we're going to talk about and try to answer the following questions about strategies for combating dogmatism in fitness. So practically, how do we as fitness participants avoid dogmatism? How do we as fitness coaches avoid dogmatism? And then how do we influence the fitness collective to not be dogmatic about what it believes? We'll talk about specific um, ideas related to dogmatism and coaching. For example, why do lots of coaches tend to become dogmatic about their approach? Is there a difference between sports coaching, which is you know a bit more authoritarian, uh, versus fitness coaching? Um, we'll talk about dogmatism in relation to fitness and society at large slash politics. So should we be dogmatic about the fact that people need to engage in fitness? Is this something that our government should tell us to do? Um, should we as a society lead people to a place where fitness is like breakfast, where they engage in, engage in it just because they've been told to, but if you ask them why they're doing it, they couldn't articulate a reason. You know, we need to be careful about people believing something without being able to articulate a reason behind it. Um, and then dogmatism in other health-related areas like nutrition or functional health. All right, guys, so that's it for the preview for this episode. We hope you tune in to listen to the full thing. Again, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review uh, on your favorite podcast platform, that would be much appreciated. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.